NotFest.com presents Talk To Me. With over 300 interviews under his belt and six years running, your host Joshua Toomey interviews metal and rock's heaviest hitters. Follow the show at Talk To Me Talk. Here's your host, Joshua Toomey. What is up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Talk To Me here on NotFest.com. As always, I am Josh the Toomey, joined by the one, the only, Chris Aiken. Chris, how are we doing? Awesome, man. How you doing? Doing well, doing well. Uh, the guest this week is Carla Harvey of the Butcher Babies. And I, I just want to say, I've had Heidi on. Uh, Heidi was on the, the regular Talk To Me podcast. She was on my Twitch stream. She was on Drag The Waters. She's done a lot for the show. Carla came on the stream with her on the Twitch stream and, uh, and the butcher babies have always been great to the uh, talk to me universe here. Sure. Love the butcher babies and not just looking at them either. I actually like their (laughs) tunes too. (laughs) Now, if, if anybody's hesitant about joining the not fest, um, paid stream, this is one that you need to join the paid stream for. This is one you want to look at. Yeah. You get to see me and Carla and, uh, yeah. If you want to check out some great butcher babies too, man, I, I believe it's a Yorktown, one of the latest singles. Uh, man, I absolutely love it. I'll play a snippet of that before the interview coming up, but Carla's on. We talk, actually talk a lot about her book, death and other dances, and it kind of chronicles her childhood and growing up, uh, you know, before, uh, butcher babies and kind of the things that goes on, man. She, she lived an entire lifetime before the butcher babies, and then wow. uh, now she's living like her second and third life, man. It's crazy. Awesome. You know, one thing that's kind of came out, and we'll hit a little bit of the news, man. Uh, today, sure. as we record, uh, Five Finger Death Punch has announced a tour. Uh, this is the second time they've taken out Megadeth. Uh, it's going to be uh, Five Finger Death Punch, Megadeth, The Who, and Fire from the Gods. Uh, going to be a great night of rock and roll. Uh, it's later this uh, year, August 19th through October 15th. All amphitheaters, all, you know, the hell there's things called stadiums and pavilions and art centers. And just looking at the, uh, the, the, the dates here, man, it's all, it's all amphitheaters. And, and the one thing that blows my mind every time is how people flip out that Megadeth is opening for five finger death punch. Yeah. It, it doesn't make sense that people are, are that worried about Me- right now today, five finger death punch is the bigger band. Yeah, if this was 1990, if they were touring <laughs> Rust in Peace, okay, then you'd have a real argument. But today, they're not touring that. They're touring, what are they touring? The new record that's going to be coming out? Yeah, the Is record it, that's not even out yet, yeah. Yeah, the the good, the dead, and the whatever. Or I don't remember <laughs> what the name of it is. Some real long name. Megadeth isn't that, I mean, yeah, they're legendary, but they're not as big. They're not the ticket sellers anymore. The ticket sales will come from Five Finger Death Punch. They're They're the bigger band right now. They're... Five Finger Death Punch is the band that crosses over between metalheads and um, kind of regular listeners. Megadeth isn't that band anymore. You know, they're 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 a legacy band at this point. So, of course, Five Finger Death Punch makes sense. Yeah, I, I'm on this email list that uh, actually Ryan J. Downey, another Notfest cohort, uh, puts out uh, each each week about once a month. He puts out you know a, a tour statistics and shows you ticket sales. Mm-hmm. The, the metal tour of the year was posting like an average of like six to 8,000 tickets a night. Okay. 
And every time, you know, I'm, I'm friendly with Chris Kale from Five Finger Death Punch. I've seen sure. Five Finger Death Punch a few times. Every time I've went to see them, it's like at an at an arena, at an amphitheater with 18 to 20,000 people. I mean, Five Finger Death Punch sells tickets. I mean, they, yeah. they, 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 you know, they've had so many, you know, gold records in a row, number one albums. I mean, Megadeth hasn't had a number one album or, or, or been relevant in the, in the, bigger scheme of things since like euthanasia <laughs> yeah it's it's been a long time and you know what it is with five finger men and, and i'll admit i'm not the biggest biggest fan of five finger i mean they're okay i, I don't turn them off if i hear them but i don't right. go out of my way to hear them either but they are for most people they are the equivalent of like nickelback to or creed to the right to the rock people it's everybody says they hate them yet they sell a million <laughs> copies every time out. So somebody likes them. And, and like you said, when you go to a show, you find out a lot of people like them. Now you've been to the shows. What, what are the people wearing at the shows? Are they wearing five finger shirts or are they wearing Megadeth shirts? I mean, they're wearing five finger shirts. I mean, yeah. that, that's the thing is five fingers, a, a rolling, you know, uh, ATM machine when it comes sure. to stuff like that. I mean, the five finger the death punch fans are hardcore. Like they, sure. they, they, they come out in droves. They, they love all of the, you know, the covers and everything else. And, and, and like you say, like if they come on, you won't turn them off, but I definitely don't seek them out. I actually listened to the new single today, uh, afterlife to kind of check it out. Not a bad song. I mean, you know, yeah. Ivan's got a cool voice and they've, they've got their own sound. Um, not necessarily something for me, but, uh, but I mean, if, if you're Megadeth at this point and you're able to go out and open for these guys, I mean, I was thinking of about different bands that Megadeth will probably open for that would blow people's minds. I think Megadeth opens for Avenge Sevenfold. I think that Megadeth probably, you know, co they, you know, they co-headlined with Lamb of God on the, on the, uh, the metal tour of the year. I mean, they're, they're they're such an like an anomaly that there's because they're so great mm -hmm. and they were massive at one point, but I, I just don't know if they sell the tickets that they once did. Yeah, well, and and you know, you're saying they're so great. I'm saying they used to be so great. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I mean I did like dystopia. I thought dystopia was a was a great fantastic record. comeback. But if you go between dystopia and I don't know, cryptic writings, say. There's a lot of uneven music in there, <laughs> right. you know, I'm not saying it's bad because I have all those records and I still pull most of them out every once in a while to listen to a song or two, but there's none of those records, you know, United Abominations or Endgame or 13 or any of that stuff. There's none of that where you're sitting around one afternoon and you're like, damn, I, I haven't heard this in a while. I got to pull that out. They're, they're basically forgotten for the last 20 years, forgettable records where five fingers still relevant right now. You know, I mean, you said they co-headlined with Lamb of God. I honestly find that unusual that Lamb of God's not the clear-cut headliner. Right. They they seem like they're the bigger band now, no? Yeah, I mean they're definitely if not the bigger band. I mean they're definitely on par. I I, I don't know if they're like like this paragraph in the in the uh in the blabbermouth statement. I you know Disturbed is a band. I think Disturbed would obviously headline over Megadeth. Sure. But and that would blow people's minds. You know Corn would probably headline over. I mean fucking Limp Bizkit would probably headline over. Yeah. Um th this paragraph alone, one of the most successful rock acts in modern music, Five Finger Death Punch has been hard at work in the studio over the past year writing and recording the follow-up to the 2020 album Fate. That LP, also produced by Kevin Churko, debuted at number one on rock charts around the world with 10 mainstream chart debuts in Australia, uh, Austria, USA, Canada, Finland, Germany, Sweden, Switzerland, the UK, and more. 
produced four number one hit singles with Inside Out, A Little Bit Off, Living the Dream, and Darkness Settles In, the latter of which saw the band tie Disturbs record for the most consecutive number ones on Billboard's mainstream rock yeah. airplay chart with seven chart toppers in a row. The band has amassed over 8 billion streams and 3 billion views to date and has sold over 1 million tickets between 2018 and 2020 alone. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're a big band. They're a giant <laughs> band. There's no, no question about how many tickets you think Megadeth has sold in the last, in that same time period. Not that many. Yeah. Definitely not over 1 million. No, but I, I just, I think it just, it, it makes like hardcore metal dudes heads explode when yeah. they see this, this both times that this tour has been, uh, you know, uh, announced. Well, even more to the point, it makes old guys crazy because <laughs> Megadeth was my band, man. Yeah. And, and, you know, and now there's a new crop that they don't listen to because most old guys, most guys, my age, they they've stopped listening to metal about 1990. If, if any further than that, most of them don't even go into like the corn disturbed era. Right. You know, most of them have stopped with dude, the last great band was anthrax, man. You know, they're, <laughs> they, they like quit and they don't even acknowledge avenge sevenfold disturb corn. Right. You know, any of those types of bands. And so they feel like their, their era is being slighted, but whatever. I pay no attention to any trolls where it starts with this is bullshit and ends with peace cells. <laughs> That's a stupid post every right. single time. See if there's any comments real quick. Seems like an odd pairing bro metal and old school thrash heavy metal. Um, Holy bizarro world, Batman. Not, yeah. yeah. It's these are all old guys that don't get it. You know, you can't, you can't totally live on legacy and, and every band that came after you has to open for you. That's just nonsense. Bands get bigger than other bands. And most of the people, this is this statement has been said a thousand times. Since Megadeth is not the headliner, I can leave right after their set and get home at a yeah. decent time. But, you know, and that's a good thing for, you know, Five Finger Death Punch. You know, just because you buy a ticket to see only Megadeth, Five Finger still gets that ticket sale. Yeah, they get their they get their money, they get their little number on Billboard, and they're happy. Absolutely. And something else that man makes makes metal heads heads explode is movies based on metal metal themed movies. And uh, one movie that kind of came out uh, on Netflix, the metal uh, metal lords, has kind of come out and for the most part been very well received. I was very surprised to see sure. the reaction to this movie online there's obviously the haters but for the most part if you read comment sections on on this movie seems like everybody's digging it man what do you, I, I know you watched it today i asked you to I watch did. it for the show it gave you a little homework and uh yeah. and, and you checked it out man so what did you think of the movie i didn't hate it probably no. like most of the people that that are liking it and commenting on it reminded me of when i was that age yeah i was that age i wanted to be in a band i used to go over to my buddy's house and play drums or sing or whatever you know in in our literally our garage garage band and we sucked and you know, <laughs> right. you know i mean and, and we we thought that we were metal i i remember that whole literally they could have tore that conversation out of my brain when they, when, when he was saying that the girl couldn't be in the band because that right. wasn't metal enough oh yeah that was that was me that was, that was me. We had a kid that came trying to be our bass player and he looked like the drummer in this movie with the glasses and only he had short hair. And we we're like, dude, 
you can't be in our band. You don't have long enough hair, man. You're, <laughs> right. you're not metal. You're, you don't look metal enough for our band, but um, yeah, I, I mean, it was okay. I mean, it's, I don't think it was, it was put out there to be a, uh, you know, a, a movie masterpiece, so to say, it's just kind of a fun, silly movie. And it was pretty fun. I was a little surprised to see some of metals elite guys in it. Right. That, that sort of caught me off guard when those guys all popped up, but um. Yeah, it was okay. I, I was re-watching a little bit of it as we um, started to record. I was watching it upstairs with my, you know, my uh, my 16-year-old. And obviously he's, we, we've established on the show, he's dabbled a little bit into metal. But yeah, there's definitely a few moments in it where it really does remind me of being in a band as a kid. Sure. And even down to like, there's so many little sneaky little things in there. Like like the the one thing that I do kind of like about it is is the main long-haired metal kid is not a poor dirt poor kid that's right. in all this turmoil in this movie. He's the son of a, a plastic surgeon, has right. a nice car, has all the gear. And I remember being in bands as a kid and and kind of the richer kids that had all the gear weren't necessarily the best of the musicians, which kind of felt right in this one too. It wasn't so stereotypical. Uh, one thing I read today was, was I think metal sucks. Uh, wrote wrote a thing about it, and they it was funny. They were kind of slagging on it, but at the same time, they were they were complimenting it. And the one thing that they liked about it was the rival band weren't assholes. They were actually kind of cool, you know. Yeah. And and then the guy <laughs> plays drums with them, and the, and the guys were like, "Hey, that's actually kind of cool. We like the way you play." And, yeah. and it had its moments, man. It, it definitely it didn't make us didn't make me feel dumb for being a metalhead, and it didn't make me feel a certain way. It made me feel like just you know, kind of kind of back at that time. And I I really yeah. liked it, man. I was really happy the, with what they did with it. Yeah, I enjoyed it, and you know, I went into it thinking it was going to be like a lot of the really shitty movies that have been made, like yeah. Detroit Rock City and stuff like <laughs> right. that. And I, and I really, I mean, it kind of almost looked like it was going to be like that, but it really wasn't dumb like that. It yeah. was just kind of. I don't know. It was almost like an updated version of my childhood in the eighties or your childhood in the nineties. Right. You know, it, it really felt kind of the same way of, you know, the whole, you know, like the scene where they, where the, he got his ass kicked and they cut his hair in the hallway and stuff. Right. I could see that happening. Oh yeah. I could, I could see that happening, especially in today's world, you know? So I don't know. I, I felt like it was cool. It was fun. It's not, it's about time Netflix had something that wasn't a serial killer documentary to watch. <laughs> right. So, you know, it, I was, I was game. Yeah. And, and, and I know you guys talk a lot about that on, on the classic metal show, but it also didn't seem like it didn't feel very woke. You know, it, no, didn't no. Feel like, it didn't feel like it was trying to push any kind of, I mean, even, they even kind of made fun of metal being gay, you know, like, yeah. you know, where they where, where you know, he said that was gay. And then they zoomed in on Axel's crotch and Rob right. Halford and, you know, and, and man of war and, um, I, I really, I think that, that, you know, Tom Morello was obviously one of the executive producers on it. Uh, one of the guys that did game of Thrones was a big, big part in it. Sure. Um, you know, the, I think they really had a big hands on with the music, with the posters, with the t-shirts, with, you know, the, 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 the dialogue, you know, when he, when he shaves part of his head, he's like, Hey, I kind of look like Jason Newstead of Metallica. And, right. You know, like they, they, they had good reference points i think i think they nailed it man i you know and it's it's not going to be perfect you know and i think i think most people that hated it were probably 
the the same people that there are that the main character was almost kind of making fun of when like this isn't metal like that's not metal right. like because he kept saying you know he was trying to define metal the whole time and and I think that the, the people that really hated it grew up being like, that's not metal. A movie is not metal and you know, yeah. stuff like that. So, yeah, but yeah. I, I agree with you, dude. There, there was only one part in the whole movie that I thought was was not good. And that was uh, that was the it was good. The, the scene with the four guys with um, Scott Ian and Morello and um, yeah. Halford Hammett. And, and Hammett. That was a good scene that had the wrong outcome. Because <laughs> well, in, in, in real life, in real life, 16 year old kid that's never had girls interested in him and has the hot girl that's ready to bang him bangs her. That's <laughs> right. just what happens. You know, I don't yeah. care what devil's on their shoulder telling him. No, he's not at 16 <laughs> years old saying, no, no, I have a girlfriend and I'm very serious about her. Get out of here. It's not happening. Yeah, that was, <laughs> was kind of funny. What is it? The, uh, the, you know, the four guys come down and basically to give him a good moment like do you have a girlfriend that loves you yeah. <laughs> go be go be with her but yeah i mean yeah. it's it's that's where it kind of like the cheesy teen comedy came out in it but you sure. know it's it's obviously fun too to see you know halford kind of in that situation too yeah halford giving advice giving relationship <laughs> advice <That's laughs> giving something. some love advice yeah <laughs> but yeah overall if you haven't checked it out make sure to check it out metal lords uh, on Netflix, and actually Ryan J. Downey, good friend of uh, Talk To Me and NotFest cohort, uh, he did two interviews over on NotFest uh, YouTube. He did he interviewed the three kids in the movie, and then he also okay. interviewed, uh, he did another interview with Tom Morello and the director of the movie, too. So Very two good, cool. quick interviews, fun, kind of hear a little bit of the behind the scenes. So Cool, cool. Uh, another thing that kind of came out before we get into the carla harvey interview was uh machine head threw up a new song today too man and uh, i think you and i are both in agreements that um fucking great uh choke yep. on the what is it a uh, choke on the ashes of your hate can't believe they're back i was i had <laughs> given up i ain't gonna lie i had totally given up i was i was one of those guys that threw catharsis in the garbage and was like i'm never listening to these guys again and now i'm right back <laughs> yeah i mean catharsis catharsis you know i thought was all right and oh, then they had the hey i'm a fan stop i'm a, I'm a right, fan triple bro. beam rider go ride on your triple <laughs> beam all right hey triple Please. beam was a jam no, um, it wasn't. <laughs> but i did kind of lose it a little bit on these the, i think you throw like a little ep there over, yeah, over COVID three song and, single yeah yeah that was pretty rough but but man you know and they've been hyping up this new uh, new machine head too you know being you know the blackening part 2 and mm-hmm. and whatnot and you know when those things started getting thrown around you're just like I don't know man and then uh then they put post this song today choke on the ashes of your hate and I'm like all right I'm 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 back in I'm back all yep. in I am too I as much as I don't necessarily want to be I'm right back in I don't even know why I don't want to be I think it's because I like Phil Demel a lot yeah and I really feel like he got you know, jerked around kind of badly, but, um, yeah, can't help it. I, I hate to admit it, but Rob Flynn is just damn good. <laughs> <laughs> he writes some shitty songs here and there and some not so good albums, but overall that dude delivers at least to my ears. So I I'm with you. I'm in. Absolutely. So you gotta go, go check that out. Streaming services, YouTube, whatnot. And, uh, and let us know in the comments what you think of the new Machine Head album. Yeah. Uh, uh, speaking of something that actually that came out last week uh, in, in the episode was, you know, you were talking about the ProBot album. 
Yes. Uh, I did check out the entire ProBot album, and I will okay. say that the Max Cavalera track, I think like the Lemmy track, and there's like maybe one more track were super highlights. But for the most part, man, it, it yeah, I, I was not a fan of, of the ProBot. Didn't like it, huh? Yeah, not, not, as, not as much as I kind of wanted to. And I think maybe going back to that era, I listened to a little bit back then and just didn't get into it. But uh, it was funny, man, that, that Max Cavalera track was very... It like starts out like territory and then it almost kind of goes into roots. Like right. they, they were definitely had max on the brain when they wrote that one. Sure. All right. So now p- pick your poison death widow or probot. Is it called death widow? I think so. Yeah. Dream widow. Dream widow. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm going to go with the dream widow. I think I had more fun. All with right. that. I'm going with probot. Not even close. <laughs> All right. All right. And uh, something else we're going to go with is, uh, is Carla Harvey of butcher babies on the episode this week. So let's check out a little bit of uh, Yorktown, uh, talk to Carla Harvey, and then Chris and I will be back with you momentarily. guys let's welcome uh rock star and author uh carla harvey to the uh, talk to me podcast here not fest.com carla how are we doing i'm good how are you I'm doing well you know it's funny i've had heidi on here a thousand times and uh you came on with heidi and uh lena for the twitch show but i've never actually yeah. had you on uh by yourself so this is well, gonna be fun. i'm here now and i'm at your disposal <laughs> anytime you want to chat just call me up <laughs> yeah it's funny man heidi heidi has been so gracious with her time with my with my show with my i did a pantera side podcast she came on with the twitch stream like it's like if i say hey heidi can you do this she's like right on it so so you have a very uh a, a very nice bandmate there <laughs> yeah all my bandmates are awesome they really are very cool. Um, I kind of want to let's let's dive into the book a little bit. As I told you, as you know, before we started, I just got done with the book. Uh, I didn't I know even know lo- you, you were reading it. So, <laughs> well, right. Well, I was listening to the audio, so don't, don't get. It was like a very long podcast, but um, uh, just kind of diving into it. You know, the one thing that always scares me about books, and if my kids were to write a book about me, or if someone that meets me out in public writes a book about me, is the way people describe people. And, you know, I, if someone ever goes like, you know, he was a, a portly fellow or something like that, that would that would freak <laughs> me out. But um, have, have any of the, the kind of the people in your past that, that you talk about in the book kind of came up and, and said anything to you about uh, about yeah. your experiences? Well, you know, so when I wrote the book, um, it came out in 2014. So another yeah. one is due, by the way. Um, 
I listed it as creative nonfiction. That way, if you know, you could read it and maybe think, "Hey, is this about me?" And I could say, "Oh, it's creative nonfiction." But right. everything in the book is, and it was also to protect my parents and not make them feel, you know, like, "Oh my gosh, my daughter was going through all that," and I didn't, you know, I just didn't want anyone to have any bad thoughts about me writing a book. I want it to be completely my side, hundred percent right. authentic. And so that's what it is. Everything is completely real. Um, every story is hundred percent true. And yes, and actually the biggest person that read it and said something to me about it was my dad. And it was actually oh, wow. a catalyst to kind of heal our relationship because um, I talk a lot about my dad and my relationship with my dad in the book and how, you know, it was, it was very difficult growing up. I felt uh, abandoned by him. I was abandoned by him. And um, he read the book. He bought it off Amazon and read it. And then he <laughs> texted me and he apologized for a lot of things that had happened. And um, that completely changed our relationship, I think. So even though I was deathly afraid for my parents to read the book, it actually ended up being something that healed relationships in the end. So positive experience. One of my favorite features of the book is something you do is when you break up with somebody or you cut somebody out of your life, you, you, you fantasize about the, you know, their death. So you, you know, you give them a death so that they are dead to you and move on. And a few times I, I had to catch myself because I would be doing something else. And I'm like, Oh no, the guy she was just dating died. And then I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. No, that's just her thing. Yeah. I think it, that um, gets a little bit lost in translation in the audio book, but in the, the actual physical book, it's in a different print and you can kind of, uh, I think it's a little bit easier to okay. understand that there's like a, a difference there, but that was a coping mechanism that I actually started when my dad abandoned us. Um, I just pretended that he was dead and I was very, very young, um, maybe seven. And I had a whole scenario in my head that, um, took place where he actually died and I went to the funeral, et cetera. And it was a coping mechanism for me as a young child to think that this person is gone forever. That way I didn't have to deal with the fact that they were there with another family, just, right. you know, in another city and didn't give a fuck enough to come and, and see me. So it was a way to protect myself. And as I got older, I'm in relationships and attachments. Um, I found it was easier to kind of use that same method of um, healing myself rather than to face the actual, you know, facts. Right. <laughs> so uh, just just a coping mechanism. I think we all have our strange coping mechanisms. That was mine. You know, as a kid, I was really overly preoccupied with death and dying. You know, hence my career as a mortician. Right. So I think it was just the natural um, thing for me to do. It's funny as as a person who has gone through divorce and has kids, you you worry that they're you know they're feeling those emotions you had. You yeah. know you worry that you know like mom and dad didn't work out, and you know you're sorry that it didn't work out, and you had nothing to do with it, and you want to make sure that they understand that. And there's a there's a thing in there where you're talking about as as a kid of divorce. This is where I am with this. Um, you know, there's a part of me that you you go back and you see photos of your mom and dad together. And it's like, it's like a strange land. It like, it makes mm -hmm. no sense. You see him happy. You see him dancing or whatnot. And, and when I think back to like my, you know, you and I are roughly the same age. And so when I think back to my parents and seeing photos of like the three of us together, 
Yeah. It's like all like how did these people ever get together in the first place? Sometimes when I look at that stuff, it's surreal, right? And I, my, I actually found a few pictures of me and my dad recently. Um, I have one right over here, actually. He just sent it to me on a canvas after I sent him the picture, which I thought was really sweet. Oh, cool. But um, I obviously just adored this man. You know, there's pictures of us in matching socks, and I have my head on his shoulder. And there's one picture that I really I'm on his shoulder, and we're both drinking from the same fountain. Um, there's two you know, faucets. And it's just these great pictures. And I'm like, wow, what, what transpired in maybe the course of a year, two years, where this person who was the person who was supposed to protect me, love me, all these things was just completely gone. Um, It's, it's a weird thing. Um, And I think as you get older, and you get into your own relationships, you have to really kind of come to terms with those things so that you don't repeat the same history because my dad was a product of divorce and his dad just kind of left. And so he just kind of repeated history, um, which is something that a lot of us do. And so we have to be mindful that we, you know, break our own little cycles. Right. And, and obviously the eighties too, when I, you know, when, you know, like I said, roughly the same age, you know, you didn't have FaceTime, you didn't have kids with their own cell phones, if you had a really big issue with the parent, the other parent, you would have to call their house phone. Hopefully they didn't answer, you know, things like that. And yeah. you know, my dad actually had a back in the day, kids, if you're listening back in the day, you could have a second phone number for the house that rang different than your normal phone number. And my dad actually had a second phone number he gave to my mom. And so he knew it was her every time he called. So he wouldn't answer and I would answer like that. How, <laughs> that's how bad he didn't want to talk to her. That's how hurt. Wow. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I also think that divorce we, I think that you and I being in the same age category, we're from one of the first generations where there you saw a lot of divorce and people, it started happening more. Before us, I feel like people would stay together no right. matter what, even if it was detrimental to the household, even if there was a lot of fighting, they would just stay. Um, and now our kid, we were the first like kind of like latchkey kids <laughs> that whose parents just kind of like did what they wanted to do, uh, left And I think it was hard for a lot of people to figure it out. And so I don't even blame my parents. Now that I'm older and I think about, you know, my parents were so young too, like 19, 20 year olds having Mm -hmm. children. I'm my age now, I'm not even ready. (laughs) So I have a great stepdaughter, but it's, you know, it's just a, it was a different time. And I don't think we talked about our emotions that much. Um, dealing with, you know, um, you know, losing mom or dad and um, our parents weren't encouraged to communicate about their feelings. So I feel like it's a lot healthier now in a lot of cases. It's yeah, it's definitely changed a lot, especially, especially like my kids now. I mean, they come home talking about, uh, you know, things that trigger them or, you know, like they, they, they definitely have a lot more buzzwords and click words for their, for their emotions you know, to where I think, I think, you know, when I grew up, it was just, you know, suck it up and go to your room or suck That's it up right. and go outside and play or something like that. You know, yeah, so, you so now don't you... talk about your emotions back in the day. Like I, there were so many things. And even when I was writing, I just was like, I found myself just crying constantly. It was really cathartic because you're right. Back then we weren't encouraged to like talk about how we feel, how we felt. And also, you know, like I felt like I, my mom struggled so much. I didn't want to bother her with how I was feeling. Right. I just shut up. And so a lot of things that I went through and she read about in the book, she's like, well, I didn't know you were feeling that way. <laughs> of course, I didn't tell you, <laughs> but you, you just don't think about it, you know, but uh, now, like you said, 
my my 16 year old stepdaughter we we do hear those words a lot triggered and all these things it's it's way different and it's awesome i enjoy talking to her and hearing what she's struggling with and you know seeing if we can come to a solution together the a couple other quick things in the book the one thing when when you get your period for the first time you think you have cancer and you're dying you know and, and like that's just such a, a such a teenage girl thing um you know not just not to know what's going on and it's funny you kind of just you don't want to even want to bother your mother with it you're like i'll just die in peace you know i'll go curl yeah. up over here and die well, that was something that I had never, we had never discussed, you know, and I was, I was a little bit younger than most girls. And literally I, I thought I was, that was it. I thought I had cancer <laughs> and that, that was the end of me. But again, I was the kind of kid that poured through medical books, was overly preoccupied with death. So when I saw that, you know, I was like, this is it. It's early end for me. <laughs> Too funny. Um, the, the one and another thing that kind of goes through the book too is, and it, even into to, to present day, you know, with the grief counseling and things like that, it seems like you were always there for people, even if it was, you know, to, to go and dye a man's hair at his house, you know, there were, there were some financial gains to it, but it also seemed like it was coming from a good place. It wasn't coming from just a uh, financial place. It was coming from truly caring about people and, and just truly, you know, being there for people. Am I, am I reading that right? Yeah, I've always been an empathetic person, um, even when I was a kid, you know, and also I was raised um, a lot by my my grandma. So I was always um, very much um, wanting to be around elderly people and comfort elderly people or sick people. Um, I don't know really why I'm that way. <laughs> you know, I just felt I think I had so much grief in my early childhood that I just started to feel it around me on other people. And I always wanted to just be a source of comfort for people. And I've always felt it was very important for people to be heard. I've, I noticed all throughout life that there were these people who were disenfranchised, whether it was another kid in school or you know the older gentleman at the bar by himself or just people who never had a chance to tell their stories or um, feel like they were special. And I was always drawn to that and wanting to make people feel okay and feel like they have worth and that they feel, you know, make sure they feel special. And even with, um, you know, when I worked at the mortuary and I did embalming and funeral directing, I, you know, in people's last moments um, where I have to dress the bodies or embalm, I always wanted, you know, of course they're not alive anymore, but even the corpses to feel at peace and okay. So I would speak with them a little bit and, you know, just kind of, eh, you know, we're going to take care of you. We're going to make you look good. You're going <laughs> to, you're going to be a smash at your funeral. I've just always been like that. I guess, how does that process work when you're trying to get someone ready to show, you know, because obviously you want to take some, look at some photos of them maybe and see how the, maybe they did their makeup and things like that, you know, to where you don't want them to look like, Hey, this is what I would do. This is a makeover. And yeah. this is how I would do it. You know, how, how respectful do you have to be of that? Well, yeah, especially for a girl that likes makeup, you have to make sure that you're not going in and making <laughs> over grandma to be a hot <laughs> playboy model or something like that. Right. But, you know, I think um, you get pictures beforehand. And the problem is with families is that you, you know, you look a little bit different when you're dead. Sorry to break the news, guys, but you're dehydrated. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're, you're not going to look, um, you're always going to look a little bit different. So we do our best. And uh, sometimes people have such high anxiety around death that you bring the body out and they're like, that's not what grandma looks like at all. (laughs) Um, So you got to wheel it back and then wheel it back out without doing much. And they're like, Oh, that's much better, but you didn't really do anything. They just have to get used to the idea that they're not alive anymore. 
But I was a very good embalmer. I was great with the, <laughs> the hair and makeup. I really enjoyed doing it. It's funny. I knew th- I knew your past enough to know that, you know, you did the Playboy TV stuff, you did the embalming stuff, you you know, stripping and things like that. I just didn't know the timeline. And I, I think the timeline to me was a little bit more skewed. You know, the fact that the embalming was kind of towards the end. And then, you know, you're like, wait a minute, I'm going to he- check out this Craigslist ad for uh, for the band and things like that, you know, because by the time you do the band, I mean, you're what, in your early 30s, right? Like when yeah, you- well, this is the thing. I went to L.A. to play music. That's That was my dream, um, to be in a rock and roll band, you know, and hang it on the Sunset Strip. But I always liken my music career to that, and like getting a master's degree in, in life, right. you know. You go through a lot of shit in Hollywood. You uh, try different things to survive. You join different bands. It doesn't work out. Then you decide to throw your hands up and say, I've wasted you know, 15 years of my life, 10 years of my life, you know, just eating dirt, trying to scrape by and and be successful in entertainment. I'm going to get myself a real job, do something else that I'm passionate about. Luckily, I had something else that I was passionate about. But in the midst of doing that real nine to five job, as cool as it was, there was that itching to finish what I came to um, LA to, you know, to do. So I saw this little ad on MySpace that said, you know, this band with five singers in it. They were looking for another girl singer to be part of this band. And I thought to myself, well, that's something that I can do on the weekends and, you know, at least have a little bit of fun and not give up on my dream completely. At the time, I had no idea that it would turn out to actually be the decision that would change my life. And it was. So you never know, kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was 35 when I started this show, and I I jokingly said I made more last year podcasting than I did my entire musical career. You know? Yeah. So it's, well, it's pretty insane. you know, when I moved to L.A., I had two big dreams, and one was to play heavy metal, and the other was to do comic books and be an artist. And both of those dreams were repeatedly um, you know, squashed by my peers, by my friends. You can't do that. That's you're, you just quit trying to dream that big, blah, blah, blah. And now, you know, um, look at what I'm doing. You know, I'm an artist full time. I'm in a band full time. I make my living off the arts. So I feel like people give up at the wrong time. And it's also never too late to change your life too. People always want to put, you know, a timestamp on, um, on living their dreams, you know, especially women I find, which I'm very mm-hmm. passionate about telling women that you don't have to give up because gosh, one time I was in at a restaurant in Hollywood and I heard one of the waitresses saying, I'm going to be 25 next year. So my expiration date is like coming up fast. And I thought, <laughs> what a shitty perspective to have on life. Because for me, life didn't get really, really cool until my mid thirties. Right. And I feel like everyone should know that and understand that you have such life in you for so long. You can live all your dreams. You can do so many things if you just put your mind to it. Yeah. It's so crazy. I was, I was, I was in a signed band and we broke up when I was 23. And at that time I was like, if I start a band now, then I'm going to be 27 by the time it heads off, you know? And like, when you're that young, you think like, Oh my God, 25 is an expiration date. 27 yeah. is old, 29 in music business. That's crazy. Nobody wants a 29 year old. And then now I look around and, and in like all of my peers that stuck with it back then are still in bands or still, you know, going and, you know, some of the bigger bands out there right now are yeah. in their, you know, late forties, early fifties. It's pretty nuts, man. 
I think it's pretty awesome. I feel like we live in a great time and we don't have to, you know, give up our dreams and, and, uh, do that. Why do that? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I, I never saw, I never read or couldn't find anything. The name change from, from autumn to Carla Harvey. Where did that come from? So autumn, uh, was a name that was, that was a fake name for the book, but it was one of the name choices that my mom had for me. So I just used that. And Franklin, it was, is my great, great grandma's last name. She was, I just adored her. Um, so my great grandma, sorry, her, her mother's last name was Franklin. So I used that as a tribute to her. Okay. Um, but Autumn Franklin's just a made up name. Okay. The way, the way I, I heard mm-hmm. it in the book was maybe uh, you grew up as Autumn Franklin, then you maybe changed your name along the ways, but oh my God, I would Carla never Harvey. change my name to Carla. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I was, try- I, honestly, I was trying to like find, find the, you know, was there I a have, serial killer, you know, like anything like that. I have just started to like my name, you know, growing up in Michigan, my name, Carla is said so harshly and it's a very Carla, you know, mm-hmm. and, but I moved to LA and it got a little bit nicer and I've learned to appreciate my name throughout the years, but <laughs> it has okay. to be said just right. All right. There we go. Yeah. I was thinking, I was like, well, maybe, you know, somewhere that's a, Carla Harvey doesn't, doesn't not sound like a stage name. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a news. It always reminded me of like a newscaster's name, you know, well, Carla you're, Harvey you're, with the nightly news. And I was, well, you I was were, an you, entertainment you were a reporter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so kind of at the end of the book here, we haven't, we, you know, you, you're just joining the band. Um, when does, when does Heidi come into the picture? Was she in the original four? Well, she's in the book. Did you read the, I mean, if you read the book, did you catch I Heidi's to the character? Which so, one was Heidi? Um, Heidi is Heather. Okay. She's in the, she's in the, um, the book there. And the line that is, you know, most Heidi, um, is that um, when I saw her, I didn't know if we'd be best friends or mortal enemies. Oh, okay. And it turns out we were best friends. So, <laughs> um, yeah, she's definitely in there. Well, you know, you're you're calling her Heather. So I didn't know that yeah. Autumn was a fake name either. So, so okay. Yeah, so like she I was said, in the I've... original original mm-hmm. few days there. Yeah. Okay. I didn't, is, she, is she the one that farted <laughs> and laughed about it? <laughs> They were all farting and laughing right. about it well, at all times. But. That's the one thing you know. Us guys don't know about <laughs> girls behind closed doors. <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> ask any of our bandmates, and you will find that our tour bus is the fart coffee, <laughs> and it's terrible. <laughs> if you go near Heidi in my bunks, you know we always have the two middle bunks um, across from each other towards the back, and it's a danger zone, man. <laughs> <laughs> awful, awful. Um, the as, as we've been uh, emailing back and forth lately, you guys have been recording a new album. How did that go? How is it going? Are we finished it's mixing awesome. all that good stuff? Where we it was here? such a cool experience because we got to go to a little town in Michigan and I grew up in Michigan. So it felt like I was, you know, coming full circle, going back to the Midwest to record, you know, a new, um, a new album. And we got to all spend time together in an Airbnb that was like a hunter's lodge. It was really cool. Deer heads all over the place, just cornfields everywhere. It was freezing cold, but uh, we made the best of, you know, the surroundings and had a lot of fun together. Um, We would go to karaoke bars and, you know, just do fun stuff together. And the recording process has been awesome. Uh, Me and Heidi are going back to finish up some vocals, but we're working with Josh Schroeder, who is an incredible producer and just 
he made the whole experience really fun so far. After all these years working with Heidi, as as you know, when you let guys listen to music now, can you go? That'll be your part. I'm going to do this. You know, are you guys good at mapping out how who's going to take up what space? Yeah, um, usually we are. We're doing this a little bit different. This album, we're going to try different things with our voices that we haven't done. So we'll probably work things out a little bit differently. But you know, I think parts, certain parts, do speak to us or. You know, I'll say, you should do this. I'll do this and blah, blah, blah. Uh, We'll map it out definitely before we go in the studio. But we're also open to switching parts if something's not working or if we feel very passionate about a lyric that we want to sing. So it's become really comfortable over the years, which you would probably not think. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like it wouldn't be too bad. Uh, You recently posted a photo of you and uh, Charlie and Jose with the limo. Uh, uh, tell me about the limo. My name is in the limo. I, 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 oh, I, uh, cool. I donated to the uh, GoFundMe. So can I kind of run down the experience with the, with the uh, Pantera limo? I'm super jealous because the limo is cool and I wish I had my name in it. If I had known, I would have uh, donated a little bit too. <laughs> so Pantera is my favorite uh, metal band of all time. And actually I've got great news. Um, I'm going to be, so Pantera has a new comic book coming out through oh, nice. Z2 Comics and I'm one of the writers. So oh, awesome. um, they, I don't think they've announced me just yet, but I'm announcing my damn self. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm really excited to um, to write for a Panther comic. It's like a dream come true. What's the, what are the storylines with those with those kind of so comics? So it's, it's a based on the vulgar display of power album. Okay. So we had to, each, um, each writer has to depict the lyrics in whatever way they choose. It's not a direct telling of the song. It is um, how the song makes you feel. What kind of storyline do you imagine? And when I was a kid um, in my room, I would literally do comics to Pantera songs. So it's like, again, come in full circle, super (laughs) cool. So my song is, is uh, rise, which has pretty crazy lyrics. So you'll have to wait and see what I come up with. (laughs) Well, tell me about the limo. Let's go. Let's go back to the limo. Oh, no, sorry, yeah, yeah. the limo. The limo is awesome. Um, so I went in and uh, just hung out for a little bit. We were we actually went to the rainbow last minute. We weren't going to go to the rainbow this trip to LA, but we decided to go. And there was the limo outside, so I was so excited because you know, like I said, be, having having Pantera be you know one of my favorite metal bands of all time. You get excited when you see stuff like that. It's it's a huge part of. Um, the legacy to see the limo, right. get in the limo, hang out, you know, do a black tooth grin in there. And uh, had Charlie been in the limo before? Was he said? Was he saying that he had been he, in that before? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Of course. Of course, he has. Awesome. Make sure. Just hey. <laughs> yeah. Covered all the bases. He's obviously great friends with them, and spent a lot of time. Um, still great friends with Phil and Rex, and um, you know, so it was important. It's it's important for him too to see stuff like that. Yeah. The um they they posted today that uh, they whoever bought Vinnie Paul's house tore it down. Oh no! Yeah. See, I was trying to get Charlie to you know go in halfsies with me on the house there. <laughs> I thought that would have been cool. <laughs> it's, it was only I think what seven hundred thousand. So, you know. Yeah, you know. Couple of, you that's know, a, that's couple. the price of a, a condo in in L.A. Though, right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> Too funny. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about Pantera. Um, the one of the first things everybody saw of Butcher Babies was the was I believe fu- the fucking hostile cover. Uh, so you know, and and that kind of took the the you know that was early internet uh, viral sensation there with you guys. And uh, just kind of talk about I guess you know that hitting how that felt for you and uh, and just you know kind of oh, the feedback never, you got. 
Yeah, I'll never forget. Um, someone came and brought us a revolver magazine. And on the bottom of a page, there's an itty bitty tiny picture of Heidi and I singing in our knife microphones that we nice. used to use back in the day. And it says, had this giant long number. And it said, number of times editor-in-chief Brandon Geist has um, has watched um, Butcher Baby's cover fucking hostile. <laughs> and we were like, oh my God, they know who we are. And it was just the greatest day. And again, the picture was this big at the bottom, but we were so thrilled that they like we were on the radar. And we were a little bummed because the video itself was at a club that was so tiny and the PA was blown out before yeah. we hit the stage. So it sounds absolutely horrid. It's terrible, terrible video, but it did kind of start our careers. So going back, what was the, your first uh, introduction to Pantera? Um, gosh, I'm trying to think of the first song that I ever heard. It's, I can't remember which song I heard first, but I think that the thing with Phil, when I heard his voice the first time, it just kind of felt you know what i felt like on the inside as an angry kid from a broken mm -hmm. home it, it just that's what it felt like on the outside so i was really drawn to this this growl and um i'm sure you can tell by my vocals that's kind of you know <laughs> how it where i get some influence from it just it was so powerful and you know before i found pantera i was really into guns and roses and and bands from that era um who i still love but it showed me a new way of doing vocals. And I just thought it was so amazing and so powerful and really gave voice to, like I said, what I felt on the inside. You remember the first time you ever saw them live? Yeah. Um, I don't remember which tour it was, but I went to the state fairgrounds in uh, Detroit and I saw them there. And uh, it was, it was obviously pretty incredible moment and somehow i was a kid and i got backstage <laughs> i don't know yeah i feel like you always got backstage everywhere at, at shows but they were back there partying and i just stood in a corner with my friend actually i probably do know how i got my friend we were like 16 years old but she was really tall she was like six foot two and right. she was blonde and i think that they probably gave her backstage passes because they thought she was older than what she was <laughs> so she's <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't even tell the right. story. I don't know. It's a different time, y'all. It's a different time. But but nothing bad happened backstage. There we just we went there and we were just, you know, eyes wide, like, you know, oh my gosh, we're backstage at our first concert. So cool. <laughs> yeah. A friend of mine and myself in '94 like like uh staked out the buses and we found where they were staying in Nashville at the hotel. And we 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 were there for like 12 hours. And then I went to use the bathroom and my friend jerks open the door and he's like, Dimebag is in the lobby. And I wrote, we all run out there and, and <laughs> Dimebag was checking out or whatever. And you just saw a big pink beard, you know, and he, you know, him and Vinny came over and took photos with us and stuff. That's and awesome. Always, always great dudes. I always tell people like back then, that was probably the year that I saw them as well. But uh, back then you couldn't like just like buy a meet and greet or right. talk to someone online you had to like wait by a bus for hours for a glimpse of, oh, of yeah. someone and, and, you know, hope for the best. And we did it right as kids. It was, it was so exciting. But, but nowadays I know people complain sometimes about meet and greets and they shouldn't have to pay for a meet and greet, but at least if you pay, you get, you get it to do it, <laughs> which I think is the coolest. I'd rather do that than wait out in the damn snow in Detroit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, um, the, the, 
I was, you know, because I was when I was a kid, you know, 14, 15, 16, I mean, that was like a, like a thing that my friend and I did. We, whatever venue, we knew where the buses would be parked. We knew they had to go from the bus to the venue. So we would stand in the middle. And, you know, I met tons of my favorite bands back then. But now I'm like, would I have bought the, the meet and greet had I had the opportunity? A, I don't know if I could have afforded it as a kid because, you know, working my grocery yeah. store job or whatnot. But, uh, you know, but yeah, you're, you're right. You know, you do get, you're, you're, you're definitely going to get to meet the band if you buy the meet and greet. Yeah. You know, back then it was like, but it was more of a game back then too. It was like, you know, almost like walk, we didn't even have cell phones, <laughs> like walkie talkies or something. Crazy. Like, How like, did we survive back I in those harsh, know. harsh days? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Someone's like, you know, how do you get from like point A to point B back in the right? day? You know, like, but now you it's, know, when I, it's crazy. When I first moved to LA, you get this thing called a Thomas guide. Mm-hmm. And, um, cause I moved there in the late nineties and you didn't have like just cell service with maps and all that you know you can make like one call a day on your expensive ass cell phone if you had (laughs) one so you get a thomas guide and it's a map of all the cities so you could get to your auditions and stuff like that and you can just you know but yeah this nowadays it's everything is in the palm of your hand it's crazy yeah we would do tours in like the late 90s early 2000s and you would just hope that the city you were going to had like a blow-up section in the corner of the map so you at least like (laughs) kind of know where you're going and yeah you would just have these call the call the guy that you knew at the club and be like how do i get there he's like all right you're gonna go three lights you're gonna pass a mcdonald's you know all that stuff we we had it on our very first tour we had a friend that was an older security guard um, driving us driving us in our little RV, and he had maps, paper maps, and he insisted on using paper maps even though it was like you know 2010 or 11. <laughs> wow, that's <laughs> late the game to still it be used. It was 2012, wow. and he refused to use like, and we're like, dude, no, seriously, this is the way to go. This is the map, and he's like, got these things spread everywhere, and he's like, no, <laughs> so funny. Yeah, I think the first GPS we used on a tour was 2007, but it was still like one that it it, it had to update. You still had to com- connect it to a computer to update. And I remember we drew, drove through, I think, um, I think it was Minneapolis and, and they had just had a, a bridge collapse. I don't know. Oh, that, was, wow. that was big news, I don't, but a bridge collapsed. And so, but the, but our, our GPS hadn't updated yet. So it still was like, turn here. And you're like, we can't turn there, GPS. <laughs> so we just had to like figure it out on our own. But yeah, it was, uh, you know, struggling back in the in the mid 2000s with GPSs. Yeah. Literal struggle bus. <laughs> <laughs> um, the John 5 record, I just had him on recently. And we were talking, I was talking about how much I loved him. You know, John 5, guitar virtuoso. He's going to have Dave Mustaine on the album saying two words and then i was like all right carla harvey's on here and you basically just whisper the song title i'm like something (laughs) about this is so geniusly well i i gave him a bunch of different like i screamed some and i did but he just all he wanted was a little you know euphoria but it's fun (laughs) you know anytime someone like him asks you to be on their album you do it even if it's whispering one little word it doesn't matter it's still fun yeah he's definitely uh something about him and his I, i'm not a huge like just guitar nerd when it comes to like solely records but his music i can listen to there's something about it that's not just uh, a shred fest there's actually some some uh song structure there or something yeah for sure so this summer you're in a lot of the festivals are you guys 
planning a tour? Are you putting a tour together? Are you just going to do the festival circuit? We're not sure just yet. We've got some things cooking and some ex- maybe some exciting news. We're not sure exactly how we're going to handle those yet. Um, we still have to, you know, finish up the album, put it out, do some, you know, videos and good stuff like that. And so we'll either tour midsummer or maybe, you know, and we're definitely touring in the fall. We're going to Europe for a month and a half. Um, but we definitely want to have a solid plan no matter what we do. So news on all that coming soon, but I'm excited to play those festivals. We haven't played, um, these three that we're doing in July in, I don't think ever. The last time you were on the Twitch, you guys had just kind of, you were in mid tour. So actually Mm -hmm. wrapping up a tour, uh, kind of getting out, getting through COVID and all that. I mean, I, I don't think COVID exists anymore from what I can tell, but you know, touring through all that i mean how was that kind of getting through you know it was we made it through with no cases of covid we couldn't believe it like we were like could not believe it that uh, because so many tours were coming down um you know up until we actually left i didn't know we were actually going to get out there because things were being canceled constantly um you know people were coming down with covid and having to shut down complete tours um but we made it through the only problem was that we were still at a place where mandates were changing daily going back and forth so in some cities um you know people would have tickets and then they realized they couldn't go a day before because they weren't vaccinated or the the, you know the rules changed like instantly um so that kind of sucked but i think it is a testament to the kind of band that we are that we say we're going to do something we go out there and we do it and we put on a show, even if there's, you know, a hundred people there because mandates changed and people couldn't get in. Or if, if it's a big festival with, you know, uh, 10,000 people watching. How have you enjoyed kind of being the independent band that you've been the last, you know, a few years and whatnot doing videos and things like that? You know, I think it's, I think it's awesome. And I think more bands should do it if they are able to do it. Not every band is able to do it. And also, a lot of new bands, they need the promotion of a record company, a record label. Not that we don't need the extra promotion. We'll take all the promotion we can get, <laughs> right. you know. But I think that um, if you have a vision and other people aren't grasping the same vision as you are, then why not go independent and and do what you, in your heart, know you want to do, what you think you should do, and really go full throttle with that and and try it. It's a different world right now as far as the music industry. And I think that people can do it nowadays. What I, well, I guess what's the what's the one thing maybe an up and coming artist should know that you know now, or maybe something you wish you could have told ten years ago, Carla Harvey. You know, something that uh, something you see now that you wish you would have done back then. You know, I'll tell you something special about my band. We were all older when we signed our first record deal. None of us were kids, so although we were extremely excited, we were careful. We retained merch, which is very important. You know, um, a lot of these record labels now, they get these bands that are just so excited to be a part of something or to get signed that they sign away everything, Mm -hmm. all their publishing, all their merch. And so you end up just not being able to survive and keep doing it because you have absolutely no income that keeps the band going. Um, And you need the income, obviously, to start tours, to get your... Whether you're touring in a van or a bus, you need money to get those wheels rolling. 
So um, you can't just give away everything. Um, I think that's the most important thing is to read, read, read your contracts. You know, we always made sure that we did that and um, made decisions that were right for a band full of people that were in their 30s at the time. I think there's a there's a hint of fear that like you know I think of a young artist would be like if we say no to this then what if we never get another deal ever mm-hmm. so you know there's there's a little bit of fear there too I think and I and I completely understand the fear I mean there's we when we left our label there was a huge fear in that like what if we made a completely wrong decision and what if we never got another tour never made another album again um, but I think that nowadays especially with the gift of social media and all these different ways to get your music heard and out there you have to kind of be solid in in what you need and what you want to enable your dream to keep going because if you sign something horrible and everybody's upset because they they can't even afford to eat then how are you going to make it as a band you know Are you seeing, not to talk dollars and cents, but are you seeing like when you guys release a single, when you guys release a video, are you seeing, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more return than you were beforehand? Is that, does that question make sense? Well, the cool thing is that, you know, you can actually see right. instead of someone telling you, <laughs> you know, right. how many, what you've gotten, you can actually see what you've done. And um, I, I think that i Think that we're doing really really well doing it this way okay without and, getting into specifics right <laughs> how much did you make last week just tell me yeah. that. um the uh so the new album are we going to put it out as a full album are you going to trickle it out as singles how are we doing with that i think we're going to do a full album and obviously we're, we're not done um recording our vocals yet and everything so anything could change at any moment in our plan we haven't you know we have to get everything situated perfectly but uh we're, we plan to release a full album and so far i am super proud of the songs that we've come up with this far into it are you are you where do you find the uh lyrical inspiration are you still finding it pretty easy or is it tougher to write these days you know it's there's always something to write about and i think that our voice changes on every album you know our first album was a lot of, um, you know, relationship stuff and, and things that we had, we had these journals from the time we were, you know, young women in high school and, and in our twenties, we had all these journals and we put together all of our lyrics, you know, from these years of, you know, finding ourselves in LA and all that kind of stuff. Our second album, we talked a lot about our family issues. I think that with each new life experience, we grow. Um, and on this album, it's the same, you know, some of the stuff that we've, we wrote about, um, you know, stemmed from our lives changing so much during COVID. Some of the stuff is just fun. Um, you know, it's, there's so many different themes on this album and I'm just really excited without saying too much. I don't (laughs) want to give away any themes before we put it out, but I'm really proud of the writing that Heidi and I did lyrically and the boys, um, did an awesome job with the music. And again, creating it all there together and listening to what the boys were doing as far as musically and then sitting with Heidi and saying, you know, what's our theme for this song? What does this song make you feel? What does this song make me feel? And then putting that together, um, it just, it it comes together so beautifully when you're all together doing it together. 
And do you like having Heidi to bounce off like that to where it's not, you're not the sole vocalist and the sole lyric writer, you know, you can sit and bounce ideas off of her? Yeah. I mean, after all this time, it's become very easy. And, you know, usually when we open up, you know, our journals or when we do like a free writing session together and we have a theme that, you know, she's writing about independently and I'm writing about independently, a lot of the stuff that we have is the same at this point or fits together very perfectly. And I also think that the important thing is now that we are, you know, have been doing this so long, neither of us are partial to, well, that's my lyric. I have to use it uh, and vice versa. You know, if she sees something in my writing that she loves, she's like, let's definitely use that and vice versa. It's not like a, well, we used two lines of yours. So we need two lines <laughs> of mine here. It's right. it's very organic and we've come to respect each other's um abilities so much that it's become and that's the key i think um in any project is that is a mutual respect and what are you doing art wise right now what was the what was the thing you and charlie were, were promoting it was uh was it an art showing at a gallery is oh we did lighters for zippo which was really really cool to see our artwork on a zippo so we um we uh did that i think that they may be sold out but maybe not over at zippo.com they have some they're really cool. I wish I had them right here to show you, but I don't. I think I saw um, some online, yeah. Yeah, super cool. Um, so they're doing a, a whole series of um, artists who are also or musicians that are also artists putting out these lighters. But I'm always doing art. Charlie and I um, had an awesome group art uh, duo art show last year. We're going to do another one, hopefully in June. And um, I just put out my annual. Um, oops, hold on. <laughs> it fell out. One sec. No problem. So I just put out my annual um, book of art. I actually have one right here. Oh, look at that. So it's oh. called Gash. I put one out every year of all my art nice. throughout the year. Um, I also have a coloring book coming out, which I'm really excited about. My first full-on coloring book. I'll be talking more about that next week. It'll be out, but I'm super jazzed about that. I've also got a lot of jewelry coming out. I make um, my drawings into uh, oh, rings nice. and necklaces. So got a lot of stuff and I've got some new metal prints coming out. So I'm always creating art and I'm so like lucky to be able to, to do that um, with my life. Like I said, when I was a kid, all I cared about was art and music and now that's my life. <laughs> Yeah, as we wrap up, I, I just want to say, I mean, before the band, you lived an entire life, lifetime, many times over. And now with the band, I can't wait for the uh, the second book. I do want to hear the, you know, the Butcher Babies era Carla Harvey story. And uh, people you know. say that a lot, a lot. They want to want to hear more about, you know, what it was like the early years of, you know, just being in a band. I felt it was really important to tell a before story, you know, too. And there'll also be an after story, you know, but I think that I definitely would like to write about, you know, about band life one day. Right now I am working on a, a, a book, um, a grief counseling book, though, too. So which yeah. is another huge part of my life. So more books to come. I love writing and I, you know, love art, music, writing. And again, Just, blessed to be able to do it all. Does Charlie ever ask you? you know, how, how will I die if we ever break up? <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's read the book. Oh, well, we'll have to have a talk. With him. <laughs> I gave it to him when 
probably better that way anyways, right? Yeah. <laughs> I gave it I gave it to him when we first started dating, but I don't think he's read it yet. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe he will. We'll have to. Yeah. If I knew that that's a, my wife had that in her, I would be like, all right, when we, when, if, when you kick me to the curb, what's well, going to be the plan? Well, I, I'm not going to kick him to the curb. Though. Well, that's I know. I said, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's forever. It's always, it's always <laughs> and forever. But, uh, but th- this has been a lot of fun. Like I said, the, the book, I know you said it came out eight years ago now, but it's definitely a fun wow. read. Yeah, I know. I, Has it been that many years? Eight years. Yeah, I jo- I jokingly said that a few episodes ago. I was like, someone said that 2014 was eight years ago, and that just sounds crazy to me. But uh, but yeah, it has been eight years now. Um, you know, Death and Other Dances. Make sure to check it out. It's a fun read. I love I love music biographies. I love the stories of how people got from point A to point B. And I think I think anyone that's into that type of stuff would love the book. So so I'm gonna plug an eight year old book <laughs> and uh, make sure to be, <laughs> tell people to go check it out. And I had no idea that's what you were gonna talk about today. So thank you for for bringing it up and reminding me that it's time for another. Yeah, I mean, if I have the time and and guests have the autobiography, I do try to go back and learn as much as I can. I mean, because obviously, you know, when you sit down, you're gonna I'm gonna read the Wikipedia and some other you know, interviews and things like that. But when it comes to autobiographies, you can really kind of get yeah. in there and, and learn people for, for what they are. Exactly. Why read the Wikipedia when you can read the words right out of my mouth <laughs> or listen. <laughs> so yeah, when you get your audible statement and you see, you know, one unit sold, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Carla. Well, uh, have a great rest of your day. Anything else to plug? You know, the, is there a website people to go to buy your, your books and your coloring books? Yeah. You can like just go to Carla com. My book is there. Death and Other Dances. My coloring book will be there. My gash book just sold out. So you missed it. But there's plenty of other um, art stuff on there that I think that you will love. Awesome. Can't wait. And uh, the pinball machines behind you, which is your favorite? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I like the monsters. Can you see the monsters? Yes, I can. Yeah, yeah they're, all, they're all pretty rad, though. Good times. So Carla, thanks for, uh, thanks for taking time with us here at NotFast.com.
All right, huge thank you to Carla Harvey for taking some time with us. Make sure you're checking out her book, uh, Death and Other Dances. Uh, I checked it out on Audible. She she uh, narrates the book, so cool. that's kind of cool. In the interview, I forgot to kind of say this beforehand. In the interview, um, in the book, she gave everybody pseudonyms, pseudonyms, like yeah. just fake names. Mm-hmm. And, and she even gave herself a fake name, which is <laughs> odd to me. So in the interview, I actually asked her, when she changed her name from autumn in the book to Carla. Uh-huh. <laughs> and she's like, she's like, no, that was just my fake name. I was like, Oh, and that, that's like one of the, one of the more dumb moments I've ever felt in an interview. Was, <laughs> was when I'm like, I was like, so when did you change your name from it's like autumn Franklin in the book. Right. And then she jokingly says, which, you know, you have heard by now, but she jokingly says, you think I would pick Carla Harvey as my stage name? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, Too so, good. but always great. Always great to have the, uh, the butcher babies on the podcast. Um, you know, one thing that I, 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 I may, I think to her before we interviewed or whatnot, and I've, I've, I've thanked Heidi through email in the past, but Heidi was the first interview on the Twitch. And right. that was before Notfest was talking about bringing over the podcast. And I was like, yeah, I'll do the Twitch. I'll do the Twitch, but it'd be really cool if my podcast had come with me kind of thing. Right. Like, oh, okay. We'll talk about that. We'll, you know, kind of kept pushing it off. Right. And then that first episode of, of uh, throwback throwdown with Toomey on the Notfest Twitch, uh, basically I got up, uh, walked outside for a second and I looked down on my phone and uh, my guy at Notfest was like, we need your podcast. <laughs> like he, he loved the interview so much that he was just like, nice. Oh, okay. Yeah. We do need your podcast. So then you called the guy that you were working with and told him, I'm fucking you over and taking my podcast with me. I'm out. Well, leaving you, you prick. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the, the, the old guy got a million downloads and, uh, true. I didn't see a penny of it. So <laughs> well, neither did the old guy. Let me just tell you, <laughs> there's no pennies to, to be seen. <laughs> <laughs> it could all cost you stuff, but, uh, yeah, that was, but Hey, congratulations on the uh, million plays on the, uh, yeah. on the CMS PN over there. How about that? 15 million so far when you count everything all up, which is just ridiculous. 15 million to hear my dumb shit. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. Uh, well, let's dive into some, uh, some, some recommendations and I'll start out. I've all actually right. got a, I've, I've got two. I'll give you. Okay. Um, I actually listened to some CMSPN today. Uh, I went back and checked out your Billy bio interview. Okay. And you know, you're talking up the uh, Leaders and Liars album by Billy Bio. Yeah. So I went to check it out and I, I enjoyed it. There were some moments. Um, he kind of sounds like a cross between himself and like Dropkick Murphys or something. Like he's got a, yeah. he's got a very bizarre singing voice now. Like mm-hmm. he's almost trying to like, he almost sounds like a, like an Irishman or something. Sure. But, uh, but that also turned me and made me think, you know, and I need to go back and listen to State of the World Address. So I also listened to uh, some State of the World Address today. And man, there is just something about those four dudes in Biohazard all together. Evan and Bobby and was it the drummer Danny and, uh, and, you know, you know, Billy bio there and Billy. Yeah. And just those four together, man, just, just, they, they, one of my favorite bands. Dude, they're, they're awesome. I, I, my second favorite show of all time that I've ever seen first being day on the green and 91 Metallica, but number two was, um, Pantera 1994 Pantera 
with Sepultura and Biohazard. It's the only show I ever went to where I really got hurt because <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. I'm in, the, I was in the mosh pit and, and somebody just jumped off the stage and landed right directly on top of my head and like crushed my spine. And I was like, Oh, you know, but it wouldn't even come out of the pit for that. I could barely stand up at that point. <laughs> it was all dizzy and stuff. Right. I was like, Oh, fuck that. I'm, I'm going to keep going. Just an incredible show. And, and I think because it was Pantera, the other bands had to bring a little bit better game yeah. than, cause I've seen both Sepultura with Mac and this was with Max, but I'd seen Sepultura with Max after, and I'd seen Biohazard after a bunch of times, none of them were ever as good as that moment. So, you know, anytime we're talking to anybody from Biohazard, I'm all, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm like you, that's just an amazing, amazing band that. Never fully got their love, as far as I'm concerned. Should yeah, that's been way one, bigger. That's one band that always threw me off that the new metal crowd didn't didn't love, didn't didn't yeah. get into more. Like even like my friends that were into Corn and Limp Bizkit and Deftones and all that stuff, I'd be like, but check out Biohazard. And I think they were, and it, it's that whole like they're too metal for this band or too that yeah. for this this crowd. They were too hardcore for the new metal guys, mm. but I I absolutely loved them. Uh, the one I only saw them once, and it was when they were open. There was it was technically the first oz fest it was like 96 it was ozzy danzig sepultura biohazard okay and and biohazard opened and i was up front it was an amphitheater but i was up front and 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 billy is just screaming and all of a sudden his nose just starts to bleed and nice. I, I was like like you know it was probably cocaine induced or something but to me it was like just because it was so intense you know right he's bleeding all over the place and man i was just like what what a, i've actually got the set list i don't know if you there right, there right it there. is Wow. Yeah, the set list from that night is, is framed on the wall behind me there. But um, yeah, that was that was that was an amazing night, and um, yeah, just what a great band. Hell yeah, totally agree. And the other thing I've been I've been really big into, and it's funny because we had uh, Necro Goblicon on a couple of weeks ago. Sure. And I was like, you know, the publicist hit me up and said, "Hey, you know, will you interview this band," and I had not I had seen John Goblicon, the actual Goblin of the band. I'd seen him online and I'm like, man, I just, I just can't do it. I can't, I don't, I don't like character interviews. I don't like, you know, I interviewed Guar. I didn't like that. It was just, just, just too much going on. I, I want to talk right. to the person. I don't want to talk to the space alien from sure. you know, planet, planet, what, whatnot. And so they're like, no, only the, you know, only, you know, the goblins not actually in the band. Right. I'm like, I'm like, okay, well I'll, I'll interview him then. So I interview him and, through the course of interviewing them, you watch their videos. It goes mm -hmm. over to a thing called right now with John Goblicon, which is like four seasons in and right. it's the goblin interviewing bands and, and you know, <laughs> and man, I have watched so many fucking episodes of that. It just, <laughs> it, it's like, now I want to interview the goddamn goblin. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, it's called right now with John Goblicon and it's, it's a, they're all about you know six to eight minutes long and sure you know they just you know they have a theme going and all this other stuff man and i just been cracking it's it's like he roasts the guests like the whole time they're on and it is so funny to me that's awesome yeah it's good stuff i've checked it out because of you re recommending it to me and it's funny he's <laughs> yeah, so he's so really many funny. quick one-liners in there man yep. just just making fun of people sure well, I have two, one old, one new. Um, both you and I in the last couple of weeks have done the um, Live and Loud with the Lord podcast with nice, Lord Nelson yes. of Stuck Mojo. Uh, those will both be released. I'd imagine yours comes out before mine because I think you did yours before mine. Right. 
but um, those will be coming out in a couple of weeks. And it's hosted by Lord Nelson, the second singer of Stuck Mojo. And it just reminded me to go back, as I always do, to one of my all-time, all-time favorite albums, Southern Born Killers, by Stuck Mojo. So I have been on a kick listening to that. <laughs> nice. And I don't care what anybody says. That song, Open Season, that might be my favorite metal song of all time. Wow. The, the riff, the riffs that Rich Ward brings on that song are just ridiculous. You know, it's so, and right when you think it's over, then it comes back for another two or three minutes. And it's even heavier. Love that tune. Love that album. So that would be something old. I've been listening to this week, the stuck Mojo Southern board killers. And then something brand new. Um, we actually just interviewed these guys for uh, aftershocks TV, but um, this album, if you're a thrash, like a, a real thrash Exodus type thrash guy, there's a there's a newer band out there called Chemicide, and they have an album called uh, Common Sense. And this is an old a new band should not be allowed to sound this old school. I mean <laughs> okay. they they sound like a band that might have come out in 1987 as far as a thrash band, pure thrash. They even have the imagery and the 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 logo that looks the part. They're, they're just a solid band, man. So check them out They're Like I said, their album is called common sense and the band is called chemicide. So check them out. Nice. Going back to uh, Lord Nelson. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you'll hear it in the interview, but towards the end, he's talking about how he doesn't want to push that. He was the former singer of stuck mojo or the second singer. Yeah. And he said, he said he doesn't know how far that would get him. And I was like, Dude, I was the third bass player in Primer 55 and I milked that shit all the way to, <laughs> all the way to here. So if you you know, I was like, you're actually on the album, you know. You, you know, I was like, do it, you know, take it for what yeah. it's worth, man. Dude, it's funny when I was talking to him, I, I don't think this was on the podcast. I think it was before we got started, but I reminded him how loyal Stuck Mojo fans are by my own Stuck Mojo fandom, because I remembered and told him word for word. And he remembered this too. He's like, Holy shit. Are you a fan? (laughs) Uh, You know, I remember when rich ward posted that he was bringing in a new singer on MySpace, on MySpace, And I remembered word for word, what the, what the quote was, the quote was, what if I brought in somebody that was even bigger than bones was bigger, larger, bigger image, bigger, everything. Would you guys be into that? And, and I quoted it to him and he was like, holy shit, <laughs> how do you remember that? And I was like, cause I was a fan, man. And dude, people loved him in Stuck Mojo. I don't, I don't think he realized how much people loved Stuck Mojo. I mean, right. that band that never got huge, but man, if you were in, you were all in on Stuck Mojo. There's no two ways about that band. Oh yeah. Yeah. They were, I, I got into them more when I toured with Frank Fonsere. Sure. Um, because it's funny because my old band had actually opened for them twice, but we were still like, I still wasn't a huge fan. And then I got in the band with Frank and I was I actually downloaded a bunch of stuck mojo onto my, my Zune. Yeah, I had one <laughs> and, of those. And, uh, and, and I was basically touring with that and, you know, kind of got into the band that way. But yeah, they're great band, man. Great band. Yeah, they definitely were. So yeah. And the smallest of circles, dude, now we're on his podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> 
So funny, man. Yeah, he was like, you know, thanks for coming on. I'm like, dude, it's like you were stuck mojo. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was weird for me. Like he knew all of my history. He's like, let me tell me about your pinball business. Tell me about your IT. And I was like, Jesus. Like he knows everything about me. And it's like, now I don't feel so creepy being a fan that knows everything about him. <laughs> <laughs> he uh yeah, he, he started kind of talking about things that you and I talked about on the podcast, which I was like, oh, at least he listened to the podcast. And then he goes, he, he goes, I know you've been doing this for six years and you've had over 300 interviews. And I was like, well, that's the that's the podcast intro. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but yeah, it was, it was cool, man. He did his homework and uh, good sure. dude, man. Yeah. So what, what's this podcast again? Live and loud with the Lord. Live and loud with the Lord. Yeah, we'll definitely have to check that out. I'll definitely post it when uh, you and I are both on it too. Sure, absolutely. But, uh, but yeah, um, I think that's it, man. I think we had a good episode this week. That was a long interview with Carly Carla, so that's going to be uh, so this should be a long episode. Period. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. So for the uh, Talk to Me podcast here at NotFest.com, I've been Joshua Toomey. I'm still Chris Hagen, and I will be tomorrow. He stole from me. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> you stole from me. You stole my my copywritten catchphrase. Whatever. That mother. Just, and then all a bunch of clanging and clacking. Exactly. <laughs> the Talk To Me Podcast, presented by NotFest.com. Follow the show at Talk To Me Talk. Be sure to subscribe, rate the podcast, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app to get the latest from the Talk To Me Podcast.